Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Take your Bibles tonight. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And once you find your place, if you're able to stand comfortably, stand with me. And I'll know that you have it. Colossians chapter 1. We've been considering a great desire God has for every one of us. And that is to be filled with the knowledge of His will for our lives. In Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. We'll simply read a single verse here. You follow, follow along as I read this. Colossians 1, verse 9. Spirit of God through Paul, addressing the church of Colossae, says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, speaking of the will of God, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I would like to continue with that thought we began last night, tapping verse 9. And focusing on a great desire God has for every single one of you tonight, as, as well as myself, and that is He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of His will for our lives. And so the series entitled, Finding and Knowing God's Will for Your Life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You tonight for the privilege to be in Your house and, Lord, to be gathered with Your people. And, Lord, we know we live in such a busy and preoccupied day. We try to distract us. Move us away from our focus on you and your will for our lives. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that you would, first of all, cleanse us of any sin that could possibly hinder your Holy Spirit speaking to us. Lord, set aside, help us set aside the busy thoughts and plans and cares and concerns that may have our attention now. And Lord, for the next few minutes, help us to focus on your will for our lives. Bless your word as you promise to prosper it. May it find lodging in hearts. And for the one that may not be saved, I pray that you would, Lord, you convict them, squeeze their heart, help them to recognize their need for your son to be their savior. And then for each of us that are saved, help us tonight to be filled with the knowledge of your will for our lives. Help us not to be hearers only, but doers of thy word. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that, that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I noted last night that Paul did not sell out cheaply. His desire for these people weren't that they were filled with material blessings. He didn't pray for them to be filled with personal happiness, which is what most Americans pray for. God, make me happy financial prosperity, whatever it may be, but he went to a higher level and designed these people to be filled with the knowledge of God's will for their lives. I reminded you last night that George Truett said this, to know the will of God is mankind's greatest knowledge. To find the will of God is mankind's greatest discovery. But to do the will of God, that is mankind's greatest achievement. If you took the time to see the heart of Paul, he speaks to the church at Ephesus and he reminds them not to be unwise, but instead understanding what the will of the Lord is. He comes back around to the church at Colossae and says, you Christians ought to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Someone would say, well, where am I to find the heart of God, the mind of God, the will of God. And I simply said last night, you'll find God's will in God's word. Amen. Let me just say this. The more involved you get with the word of God, the closer you'll get to understanding the will of God. Amen. And yet, conversely, the less time you spend in that Bible, the word of God, the less you'll understand the heart, the mind and the will of God. You'll find God's will in God's word. People say, well, that's just so easy. Why don't more people find God's will for their life? I think it's because of the attitude 
that's involved. Someone said so wisely one time, it's, it's not as much God's will for my life as it is the attitude, my life for God's will. And most people across America today, they not only don't even understand who God is, they don't even understand what he wants for their life. Because frankly, they're not interested in even finding it. Amen? Amen. In fact, their approach to God, if you get right down to it, is going ahead and trying to tell God their will. God, here's where I want to go. And God, here's what I want to do. And would you open the door so I can have my will fulfilled? But I checked a long time ago, this whole thing don't run around you and me, amen? It runs around the Creator. He put this thing together. It's not about you, it's about Him. And and really, when you come to God, you know what He's trying to say? Hey, listen, why don't you go ahead and follow my will? Amen? And so tonight, let's turn our attention again to the Word of God, for there we find the will of God. And we noted last night, there was... A very clear moment. There are very clear moments in the Bible where God opens his heart and said, here's something I want for you. Look in John chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. John chapter 6. And notice God's first great desire for every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl in this world today. Notice his desire. John 6 and verse 40. Jesus Christ is speaking here. And listen to what he says. He says, and this is the will of him that sent me. Well, how clear can you get? You know, none other than Jesus Christ said, here's, here's the will of him that sent me. What is it? That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. You know, verses like these and many others clearly show us the heart of our God. And it's this. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have everlasting life. God's very first desire for your life and mine is salvation. Amen? He wants you to be saved. In response to the question, what is the greatest need of the people out there today? The song gives the answer. People need the Lord. I remember a few years ago, we were in West Virginia. Backside of nowhere, a little abandoned mining town. We'd come in to preach a meeting that week. And it was kind of so far, it's up on the panhandle of West Virginia, panhandle of Maryland. And it's so backwoodsy there that if it rains real heavy, an inch or more, you've got to go about 45 minutes around the way because the road floods out and you have to have an alternate way to this little old country church. We'd been there a couple times. Our kids had even sung there. And I remember that Sunday morning, it was Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And as I preached that morning, a little congregation, probably about 15, maybe 20 at the most, were there assembled that Sunday morning, Pastor Billy Foster. I noticed a couple in the back, seated right in that back row. They seemed to be unfamiliar with Bible verses. Somebody was helping them through. I noticed when I was seated up front during the song service, they really didn't know the hymns. And they appeared to be almost first-time visitors. And I found out afterwards that only the second time they'd come. They were mid to upper 60s, fairly weathered, appeared to have lived a very hard life. And I'll never forget when we finished the service, I posted myself outside near the door to just look everybody in the eye, shake their hand, to measure them for a moment and thank them for coming. And as people drifted past, all of a sudden there that couple stood. Their name were Don and Jetta. I still remember their names. Don was tall. He had Parkinson's rolling wrist. He shook my hand. He said, thank you for the service, preacher. Then turned and went down the rickety little wooden steps to leave. Jetta, she was shorter. And she went ahead and said, thank you for the message, preacher. And then turned to start going down the steps. And she got about halfway down the steps. She stopped and she came back up. And she stood in front of me. And this is what she said. And this is how she said it. She looked at her feet. She wouldn't even look at me. Just ashamed and embarrassed, apparently, for who she was. And this is what she said. She said, Preacher, we're not smart people. We're sort of dumb. But we know we need to be saved. Could you come by later this week and show us how to get saved? I've never had anybody tell me that before. I said, Sure. 
Pastor Foster and I came by Thursday. He, Don was medicated up. We couldn't deal with him. Found out after I'd left, 30 days later, Don got saved. And on that Thursday, I had the privilege of leading a weathered, uneducated woman to the Lord. And I got thinking about what she said. And you know what? Jetta had it all wrong. The dumb ones are the ones that think they can make a go of time and eternity without a Savior. The smart ones are the ones that know they need a Savior. So maybe to borrow Jetta's words, I just would sum it up. I hope you're dumb enough tonight to know you need to be saved. Amen. And then if you are saved, I hope you're wise enough to know others need him too. And you're about this rescue and recovery operation. For people still need the Lord. Amen. You cannot tell the gospel to the wrong person. Amen. Because everybody needs him. Amen. And if they already have them, all they'll do is say amen when you tell them. Amen. And so God's first great desire is salvation. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have everlasting life. And you'll have to come to Jesus to get it. He's the one that got the keys. Amen. You've got to go to the one who has the keys. But following salvation, God has some more desires. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God's first great desire for you and for me is salvation. But following salvation, he has a second great desire, and it's noted in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at what's said here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 3. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God. Look up for just a moment. Do you know what it says in the original language? For this is the will of God. <laughs> you want to know what it says in Hebrew? For this is the will of God. How about Greek? This is the will of God. I'm making it a little fun, but listen, man, you don't have to go ahead and know the original language. In plain English, God has preserved his truth and his word to bring to you and me. And he said, this is something I want for you. Amen. This is my will for you. What is it? A big word we rarely use. Even your, whoa, say that word with me. Sanctification. Say that word again. Sanctification. And then he goes on to explain what that word means. That ever that you should abstain from fornication, which is sexual immorality. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. The context is your body in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. And then look at verse 7. He sums it up with his summary verse. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but... Unto holiness. Wow. God's first desire for you is salvation. He wants you to get saved. He wants you to go ahead and trust Christ as your Savior. And until you do, Jesus doesn't do you any good. He's just a Savior until you trust Him to be your Savior. But after you get saved, God has God's desires for you continue. Now you're in His family. And as a child of His... He wants you to be clean living and God-fearing. He wants you to live a sanctified life and a holy life, not an unholy life. Amen? Now, you and I, when you look at this word sanctify or sanctification, we have to admit, this is not a, a word we use commonly in our conversation today. I mean, if you think about the last week, how often you even use that word talking to somebody at work, whatever, it was probably pretty rare. And so let's define it. What does sanctify or sanctification mean? It has two pictures. The first picture is this, to cleanse and purify. Now, how many of you ate at home tonight? How many of you ate at home and it wasn't on paper? Okay. What would you do when you finished eating the meal with the dishes? What would you do with the dishes? What would you do with them? Stuck them in the sink. They're still there. All right. Waiting for Scott. Right. Uh-huh. All right. But eventually you're going to do what with them? Wash them. And when you wash your dishes, you're sanctifying them. That's the first picture is to cleanse or purify. That's what the word sanctify means. But there's a second picture. And it means to dedicate or set apart for special or high use. Now, with a show of hands, ladies, I want to ask you, how many of you have a set of fine china in your house? Anybody have fine? There's fine china. Anybody else? All right. Now, we don't. All right. Two. Two sets. All right. It's not a trick question. I'm just, yeah, I just want to know. We do not. Living in a motorhome, man, it's paper. 
you know. Well, no, no, you got some stoneware for me, didn't you? Because I'm a corral work because I'm such a spoiled little thing. After six children leave, we've got a lot of stuff now we didn't have when they were there. Room being one of them. What, what's the purpose of fine china? Let me tell you something about fine china, ladies, you would agree. It's not for common use. It's for special use. You don't feed your dog off the china. Don't you? No, or your mother in law. Your mother in law. I got this great message on bitterness, sis. I'm telling you, it's. <laughs> Brother Scott's going, pray for me. Pray for me. <laughs> sis, do not get in my radar early in a meeting, okay? We're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> no, fine china's for special use, high use. You with me? And so sanctification means to cleanse or purify. But it also means to dedicate or set apart for high use, special use. When you see the word sanctify in your Bible, the realm and sphere of sanctification actually is a tri-dimensional sphere. And I'm just giving you this. Do not glaze over this. this I want to lay this foundation. First of all, there's positional sanctification. That happened in the past, the day you got saved. The day you got saved, answer this. Jesus cleansed you of how much of your sin? All your sin, past, present, and future. That's a positional truth. You're complete in Him now. In fact, Colossians 3 says you're already seated in heaven and in holy places in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so the positional sanctification, you were cleansed and purified of all your, your sin. That happened in the past, the day you got saved. Then there's a dimension of sanctification that's happening right now. The theologians call it practical or progressive sanctification. It's how you're living right now. All right? And then there's a future dimension called perfect. The day you get to heaven, you get a new body that can never sin. You get a tongue that never say a filthy word. Mind and never say, think a filthy thought. Y'all with me? And you come to a place called heaven that, that is nothing but pure holiness. Literally the positional truth swallows up the practical truth. And forever and ever and ever, you're cleansed, purified, dedicated, set apart in heaven forever and ever. Amen. 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 That's the whole realm of sanctification right there. The majority of the time, the word sanctify is being spoken of in your Bible. It's not talking about what happened the day you got saved. It's not talking about what's going to happen the day you get to heaven. It's talking about how you're living right now. So, with that in mind, go back to our text and look at this great desire God has for your life and mine. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Look at verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Take your pens out. Real quickly, here's the message tonight. There are three reasons tonight why you and I, once we get saved, should yield to this desire of God's to be clean living and God-fearing. To live a holy life, not an unholy life. To live a high life dedicated to Him, not a low life in sin. Number one reason. Here's number one reason. You ready? Here it is. First reason, Christian, why you should yield to this desire of your fathers, of the Lord's, now that you're saved, to be sanctified, is because of who you now belong to. Right? Just write that one down. The very first reason you should yield to this desire of God's to be clean living now that you're saved is because of who you now belong to. Go to 1 Peter with me. Go to 1 Peter. It's toward the book of Revelation. In 1 Peter, look what's said here in 1 Peter chapter number 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse number 14, listen to what the Bible says here. Remember, we will find the will of God in the Word of God. You cannot base how you live and cannot base God's desires on your feelings about who He is. You have to get His Word. And in His Word, we see here, God wants us to be not only saved, He wants us to be sanctified. And the first reason why is because of who we now belong to. Look at what's said in 1 Peter 1, in verse 14. As obedient children, he says. Pause. Look up for just a moment. This is how my mind thinks. If he uses the adjective obedient children, doesn't the inference mean you can be a disobedient child? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if my children can, can be obedient, the inference is they can be disobedient. 
So he's talking to Christians here. He says, as obedient children, watch this, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And the word conversation literally means how you live. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Wow. You know the number one reason tonight, Christian? Now that you're saved, why you should desire to live a clean life and a holy life is because of who you now belong to. You know, the day you got saved, you switched spiritual fathers. You were of your father, the devil, till you got saved. Scripture makes that very clear. And now you have a different father. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the true and living God and a righteous father. Amen. And you switch families, too. Now, let me tell you something. Everything about your family reeks of holiness. We read the Holy Scriptures, not the unholy Scriptures. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, not a wicked, sinful spirit. Amen? We're going to a holy heaven, not a sinful heaven. We belong to a holy father, not a wicked father. Everything about this family reeks of holiness. And the last time I checked, the children want to be like daddy. And he's a holy father. Amen? You with me? The very first reason you and I should, we should pause and just give consideration to how we live and what kind of attitudes we walk through life with is because of who we now belong to. He's a holy father, not an unholy father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you go there with me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the church at Corinth was a messed up church. Go, go back there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is a very messed up church. People have seen, And when you look at the church at Corinth, 1 and 2 Corinthians, almost everything they touched, they had what I call the D-Midas touch. They messed it up. They, they messed up church discipline. They messed up the Lord's Supper. They messed up forgiveness after the person repented. I, I mean, it is the D minus touch. I've had men say to me, you cannot get good doctrine from the two epistles to the church of Corinth. I say, yes, you can. They say, no, you can't. Yes, you can. Just whatever they did, go the other way. You know, it's like bills that politicians pass. They don't read them anyhow. I don't need to read the bill. Generally speaking, if that group is for it, I'm probably against it. And if that group is against it, well, I'm probably for it. You know what I'm saying? That's the church in Corinth. That's, that's where they were. They, they were carnal, weak, spiritually weak Christians. Paul comes and sees how they're living in their carnality in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 19. And in a single word, he sums up his attitude toward them. And I'm going to, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he sums it up and he reminds them of something they forgot. But I'm going to give that single word the inflection Paul's pen had when he saw how they were living, though they were saved. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, comes to the church at Corinth and this is what he says. What? You with me, Carol? Yeah. I mean, he cannot believe how they're living. And then he reminds them of something they forgot. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Look at the reminder. He says, Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which you have of God? You're not your own. For you're brought with a price. Therefore, look at this. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. This is not a spiritual truth. It's a body truth too, which both belong to God. Let me tell you something, Christian. When you and I get saved... The issue of ownership will settle 90% of your sanctification questions. How you should live, what kind of attitude you stalk through your home with, what kind of, where you go, what you do. That issue of ownership will solve 90% of your how should I live sanctification questions now that I belong to Jesus. I remember years ago I came home from work. I worked more of a later shift. I came home about 9, 9.30. Mom had supper, Deb had supper on, you know, and the girls were all down in the basement playing. We got four daughters, two sons. The girls were down in the basement playing. And I'm eating my supper, you know, and man, about 10 minutes into the deal, all of a sudden, oh, this cacophony of sound came swirling out of the basement, you know. It, it, it was just, you could hear anger and, uh, you know, Rah! 
it's not like a couple of tomcats where the tails tied together, slung over a clothesline. And you say, well, how would you know what that was? A farm boy, a lot of cats. You say, well, now that really offends me. Again, I got this wonderful message on bitterness. We'll make sure we get to you if you need it. All right. How to deal with offenses when they come. <laughs> and I thought, what is going on down there? And so I padded down the steps, you know, quietly and got to the bottom. I looked around the corner and there's my four daughters. They got 273 toys dumped out, spread all over the place. And they're all fighting over one of them. I want to play with. No, no, it's my turn. They just, you know, it's like good grief. And so I watch them for a bit, kind of just like soaking it in, going, I just, yeah. And then finally, I stepped out of the shadows. I said, hey, just like that. It was like the drill instructor and click eyeballs. I said, what is going on here? And they all started talking at once. Jabber, jabber. But I want to play, but I have. have, 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 have. And I said, hey, 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 hey. Shh, shh. And I asked one question. Who does that toy belong to? Little Karen, my second daughter, says, it's, it's Kimberly's oldest daughter, Kimberly. Kimberly, is that your dolly? Yes, sir. How is this supposed to be working? Well, Dad, I've got Mom's watch here. And we're down here playing. And, and, and so I'm letting Karen play with it for five minutes. And then at the end of five minutes, then Robin gets it for five. And, and when Robin's done with it, then Chandra gets it for five. And Dad, I'm supposed to have it for five. But it's my doll. I get to play with it all the time. So I'm just going to start back. You know, there's always a pleaser in the bunch. You know, that was Kimberly. Oh. Did you girls hear that? Yes, sir. Kimberly's doll. Yes, sir. She calls the shots. Yes, sir. So if you want to find out what's going on with the doll, check with the owner. It's Kimberly. Kimberly, any problems? Come see me. And boy, peace ruled from that point on. We get saved. This is what we do. Lord, here's what I want to do. Here's where I want to go. Lord, I want to be this. I don't want to be that. You know what I'm saying? And we forget. The day we get saved, we're not renters. We're not landlords anymore. We're just a renter. And you just don't do as you know. And as I know, you just don't do whatever you want to rental property. You don't say, wow, that, that would look good if there was a window right over there. Ring, steel. That's how we do it in Alaska. Ring, steel, chainsaw. Man. I don't know if you do that. We do that in Alaska. That ain't my house, man. You with me? The day you got saved, you're no longer your own. You've been brought with a price. You ought to check with the owner before you do whatever you want with you. Amen. You take time to study this out. The Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 8. Those priests, when they were dedicated to serve the Lord, the scripture literally says they were sanctified with blood. It was the blood of an innocent animal. They would kill the animal, put the blood on the right ear lobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe. Read it, Leviticus chapter 8, verse 22 and 23. And what that signified is literally not just a little piece of them was dedicated to serve the Lord, but all of them from head to toe. And the day you got saved, you were sanctified with blood. But it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats, but it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that lamb without any stain or sin. And our children have it right. Head and shoulders, knees and toes. Y'all belong to Jesus. Not just a piece of you. The very first reason you and I should give very great pause to this desire of our gods after we get saved to live a holy life is because of who we now belong to. We're not ours. We're His. Amen? Watch this in Romans 6. And I'll go to the second point. In Romans chapter 6, we have what I refer to in Romans 6, the Chilton Manual, slow motion, dotted line, exploded view of sanctification. It's the best way I can describe this. In Romans chapter 6, it's the Chilton Manual, dotted line, exploded view of sanctification. Slow motion. Here it is. Romans 6, verse 17. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. It says this, But God be thanked, that ye were the servants of sin. Notice that tense of the verb. People say, well, when I got saved, what's my relationship with sin now? Am I sinless? No. But you should sin less. 
All right? You should sin less when you get saved, not more. Because you were the servants of sin before you were saved. Now watch how this describes it. He says that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart, verse 17, that form of doctrine which was delivered you. The context is Jesus saves. It's the doctrine of salvation. Look at verse 18. Being then made free from sin, that's what happens when you get saved, you became the servants of righteousness. Circle verse 19. Here it is. Here's the slow motion view of sanctification. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your, look at that word, members. What's that word members mean? I'll give it to you. Body parts. All right, it's talking about your body parts. As you have yielded, this is when you were lost, your members, your body parts, servants to uncleanness and iniquity and iniquity. Even so now, now what? Now that you're saved, yield those members, those body parts, servants to righteousness unto holiness. What's the Lord saying? Here's what he's saying. Hey, that tongue that used to go ahead and tell dirty jokes and say filthy words, now that you're saved, that's not your tongue, that's my tongue. I want to tell somebody how I can save them. I want to sing my praises. You with me? Those eyes that used to look at pornography, uh uh-uh, now that you're saved, those aren't your eyes, those are my eyes. I own those eyes. I paid for those eyes. I want them to read my word. I want them to go ahead and look at the hymns. I want them to look for the needs of others. Those hands that will fulfill your wicked lust, those aren't your hands. I paid for those hands. Those are my hands. Now I want them to help others. Those feet that take you to the bar, uh uh-uh, now that you're saved, those feet aren't your feet. Those are my feet. I want them to take you across the street, tell somebody how to get saved. Y'all with me? That mind you used to think filthy things. It's not your mind. That's my mind. I want to think of holy things. That's what he's saying. When you think of our early years when we were lost, all those body parts, you know what we used them for? To fulfill the lusts of our flesh. They were there to serve sin. We woke up figuring out how we could please ourselves. And now that we're saved, those body parts, God says, now I own those and I want them to serve me. There it is. Say, how much of me? All of you. Let me rephrase it. As much as he paid for. And the last time I checked, he paid for all of you. You better be glad he did because whatever he pays for is what he takes home, okay? You don't want any parts left behind. Amen? Amen? And so the very first reason that you and I should really pause and ponder while we're on earth, we we ought to consider how do I live and why should I live a holy life is because of number one, who we belong to. Amen? But number two, there's a second reason, not only because of who we now belong to, but second of all, because of who we now represent. Go to 2 Corinthians with me. Watch this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, after the book of Romans, you have the... The two epistles to the church at Corinth. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Spirit of God through Paul is saying something very interesting here. In 2 Corinthians 5. And if you look in context, verse 17 talks about salvation. It's talking about becoming a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You see that? It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Look at verse 18. He's talking about reconciliation. Being made right with God through Jesus Christ. Being reconciled. And notice in verse 19, he commits us that reconciling ministry. And look at what happens in verse 20. He says, now then. Now then what? Now that you're saved. Now that you're reconciled. Now that you're a new creature. Look at this. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Wow. Well, there it is. You know, the first reason, Christian, why you ought to live a holy life, not an unholy life, is because of who you belong to, a holy father. But the second reason is this, because of who you now represent. Scripture says the day you and I got saved, we became ambassadors. All an ambassador is is a representative of another country. And listen, the day you and I got saved, we immediately became a representative of Of another country. A heavenly country. We're representing another king. We're representatives of another kingdom. Amen. And let me say very clearly. The king and his kingdom. 
And that country, he cares how he's being represented here on earth. Ambassadors. I remember <laughs> I took my first pastorate in Fairbanks, Alaska. And when I took that pastorate, I was, Deb, you and I were, what, married maybe two years at that point, maybe three, not long. How long were we married? About a year and a half. So less than two years into our marriage, a church that I helped plant, I was installed as the second pastor. Now, I remember when I got the pastorate, it was exciting. It was a congregation, probably uh, around 60. I knew all of them had been involved in their lives for uh, a couple of years at that point. I'd been there even before Deb and I got married. And uh, there were some perks that came with the pastorate that were really kind of neat. First of all, I remember I got a $2,600 a month salary. That was kind of neat. I'd been commission-only sales rep up till then. It's all oh, a salary. Number two, I remember I got the closest parking place to the church house door, North Pole, Alaska. It's reserved pastor. And you say, well, that's not a big deal. Ah, 55 below. That's a big deal. I'm telling you, some of the visitors stayed in outer darkness till the spring thaw. You know what I'm saying? Some of the deacons we didn't find till the snow plows came through. It's just nice to be up close to the heat, you know. Third thing I remember, I got a gas card. Church paid for all the fuel back when it was, you know, 87 cent a gallon or something like that. But the fourth thing was really neat. Up till then, I had a 1965 Suburban. And, man, the church had this one-year-old Dodge dark blue metallic van, power everything, heat. I mean, air for what that's worth. I mean, it was like, wow. And that became my vehicle as pastor. But something came with that van I was not expecting. Because in bold letters, gold letters on both sides of it were the words Kingsway Baptist Church. Well, I don't know how you drive in an unmarked vehicle. <laughs> Actually, I do. I've been working my way through Green Bay. It's like, ah, missed two turns today. I think, wow. Oh, and that was a woman. Oh, that one was a guy. It's like, hey, they move around here. It's like they're going for the goal line, you know. <laughs> But I get in that van and I head out 15, 20 minute drive up to Fairbanks, Pastor Scotty for, from North Pole. I'm going to go get the mail for the first time. You know, once you get in a, in a marked vehicle, you don't know it's marked, okay? I mean, you don't see that. And so off I go, man, I'm cruising along, sis, 65 and a 55, and all of a sudden it hit me. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Would that be a testimony? Smoky Bear, you know, pulling over, things way back. Ah, man, slowed her down, you know, slowed her down. But in that time, I kind of lost track. I was in a marked vehicle. So pull into the parking lot where the post office is. They never had enough parking places. Never. There was literally a tow truck that prowled because they knew people were going to try to grab places they weren't. And so how I did an unmarked vehicle, I come peeling in and do a sideways run. And I'd park in a handicap zone. Now, I know, I know. Naughty, naughty. Again, got a great message on how to deal with offenses. You see me after. But I, and I do a Starsky and Hutch roll, leave my car running. Nobody steals your horse up there. And I get the mail. And before that tow truck come around, man, I was back in there. And I was beep, peeling rubber out. And so <laughs> it's just a habit. So I was a church fan. Man. You know, I pile out. I'm halfway in. And ah! <laughs> you go, Kingsway Baptist Church. Wouldn't that, be a, wouldn't that be a scene if I didn't make it back? There's the preacher chasing the tow truck. You know, oh, what a testimony. And the knowledge I was representing something bigger than me changed how I drove. Oh, man, the day you got saved, you're representing the greatest king and the greatest kingdom this universe will ever know. And it ought to change how you live. There ought to be this awareness that it's not about you now. You're representing him. You know, my favorite thing to do, I love to go to coffee shops, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, Tim Hortons, hit a Panera. I, I love it. I watch. I had a wonderful 20 minutes today witnessing and testifying to a guy from Los Angeles, a guy from Minnesota. And we just had a great time getting off tracks, find out where they stood with the Lord. It's just a Mars Hill of our day. So people gather to chatter. They hole up in their home and don't even want to open the door, but they get out in public. They want to talk. And so I hit the Mars Hills, and I always bring my Bible. I like to do some reading there, and just pocket full of tracts. And, you know, that's just, that's my, one of my ways. Like I said last night, you need some ways, you know, you need a way. 
But you know what happens when the weather's warm and I'm sitting there, got my Bible open. Sometimes the young ladies, when they go by, they're not dressed, you know, very good. They're not dressed very well. And you know, I have this distinct awareness because my Bible's open and there somebody goes right past me. I have this, this weighty awareness that people in that restaurant, people in that coffee shop, they're watching me to see where my eyes go. Y'all with me? I have this awareness that I'm an ambassador just because that Bible is sitting in front of me. Let me say tonight, that shouldn't be a bad thing. We shouldn't say, do I have to represent him? I mean, I meet Christians, that's their attitude. Oh, do I have to? I meet teens, do I have to? You know, you know the attitude I meet, do I get to? What about him embarrasses you? Hmm? He's holy. He's harmless. He's undefiled. He's separate from sinners. And Scripture says... We'll not be ashamed of him when we meet him. We're not going to say, that's it. Why would we be ashamed down here? We've got the best. Amen. And we need to be proud to represent our king. Right? We're right. They're wrong. Our kingdom's eternal. Theirs isn't. We got the winner. They got the... Loser. Why would I act like I'm a loser when I'm on the winning side? I'm not being arrogant. I'm not trying to, you know, just fraud. Yeah, just think it through. You know, one of the reasons why we don't think it through, we're spending too, t- too much time in the world, not the word. And we're starting to think that's reality and the word's the fantasy. The word's the reality. The world is the fantasy. It will pass away. But God's word endures forever. Isn't that good? Christian, the very first reason you and I should want to live a clean life, not a dirty life, want to live a holy life, not an unholy life, is because of who we now belong to. But the second reason is because of who we now represent. But thirdly, write this one down. Because of who we now affect. Because of who we now affect. Go back just a couple pages in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And look with me in verse number 2. A fascinating portion of Scripture here. In a single verse, the Spirit of God through Paul, he shows us one more time who we are. And look at what he says here in 2 Corinthians 3, 2. He says, ye are our epistle. He's talking to Christians. Ye are our epistle. That word epistle means letter. Written in our hearts. These people were dear to Paul. These believers were dear to him. But look at this. Known and read of all men. Wow. In the margin of the Bible, you literally see living letters. That's who we are the day we get saved. And immediately after we get saved, we get known and read by all men. Let me tell you something I know about lost people, because I was one for 18 years. They don't, as a general rule, read their Bible. They read Christians. They see how we live. They see how we treat our spouse. They watch how we talk about the boss around the water cooler. Y'all with me? They watch what words come out of our mouth. Yeah, I'm, I know how this is. They watch us. They don't read their Bible as a rule. They read Christians. We become the Bible they read. And they read us for obvious reasons. First, the very obvious one, is they're trying to find a reason to reject our Savior. They're trying, they're reading us, and they're watching us to try to find a reason to discredit our message that they need to be saved. That's the first obvious one. And sadly, sometimes we give them that excuse. You ever heard somebody say, hey, you don't have anything I don't have. Oh, man, that's horrible. You think of all the stunts that David did when he took that little housetop stroll 
and it ended with adultery and then murder. You remember when he, it was months later, he got confronted for that sin. Nathan the prophet said, thou art the man, you're the man. And David, unlike Saul, didn't say, honor me publicly. David took the hit. I believe this, private sin ought to be confessed privately. Public sin ought to be confessed publicly. The common report has to be dealt with. You can't just look the other way, lest you allow the leaven to leaven lumps. All right? It's just a, that's a simple, I don't need to know all your private sins. I can't handle that info. But God can. But you go public with stuff. You're shacking up. You're committing adultery. You're doing something. Hey, hey, hey. You move it to a level because now you're putting God's name on the line and your book's getting read by lost people. You think of everything David pulled. You remember that? He said, you're right. I'm the man. And he was told, God put away your sin. How be it? By this deed you've given the enemies of God great occasion to blaspheme his name. You're going to owe him for that one. You're going to owe him for that one. Our God's a jealous God. He doesn't want to be misrepresented down here. You all with me? You know, we love the privileges of salvation. And we don't like the responsibilities. But they're a package deal. You can't have one without the other. I believe people read our mail. They watch how we live, hoping to discredit us. But let me, let me throw this one out. I think there's times, Miss Carol, they watch you. They watch you. Shane, Jen, I mean, just picking a name at random. They watch how we live. Just hoping. We really have something real. And what we really have is bigger than us. And it does change lives. They're just hoping we got. Because in a day of phony political rhetoric and Phariseeism, they're really hoping there's something real. People are longing for that. But whether they look negatively or look for positive, we're on display. Amen? Oh, yeah. And I hope tonight that your life is lived in such a way that you become a reason for them to say yes to the Lord. Not a reason to reject Him. Amen? You know, as I travel around America, I'm, I see this all the time. You ever see this on a semi-truck as it goes by? How's my driving? Call one eight eight eight. da 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 Who's ever seen that? I see it all the time. You know, if I was pastoring again, I had pastored for a number of years and assistant pastored. And it, I, I always, and pastor, you know who I am. I, I try to leave something in better condition than I found it. If I tear some things up, I always want them reassembled again and built. I'll never try to leave a mess when I, when I leave as an evangelist. I have a pastor's heart. I found that out. But if I was pastoring again, this would be a fun little program to toy with. This would be an interesting thought. I'll just throw it out. You don't have to do that. That's your call, Pastor, and people don't lean on him. You, trust me, you won't lean on him to do this. But wouldn't it be something if you had a sanctification emphasis month? You remember the old days? I'm going to go historical here, all right? You know, you remember, you know, um, homecoming? You'd wear those booster buttons. We'd get them done up. You know, ours were orange and black, Brownton Bears, you know. And we get those booster buttons and have some little saying and you had to wear them, you know, weeks before. Ever had to wear the booster button? Wouldn't it be something if your church family decided we're going to have a sanctification month? Everybody who's a member here, they're going to have this button they wear wherever they go in public. And it's going to say, I'm a Christian. How's my living? Call my pastor. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> Would that change what jokes you listen to at work? Would it change what you say about the boss? You know, would it change where you go? Would it change what kind of attitude you stalk through life? You know, would it change how you drive? I remember one time somebody going slow in front of me. It was a Sunday morning man. It's like honk honk. I'm trying to get them to move honk honk, and they went to church. Mm, my church. Ah! You ever done that? It's like, ah, if I could remove the hawks. And I was the assistant pastor at the time. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It shouldn't take a silly little booster button to make you desire to represent him well. Just the fact of all he's done for you ought to just be enough that ought to motivate you to say, 
He deserves my best. And so do those lost people. Because there has been a lot of misrepresented Christianity today. We ought to take away their excuse. Amen? I give them a reason to trust him. Now watch this. Go to 2 Timothy. So you think we're done because that was point three, but I've got to cap it here. Watch this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to now make the personal application and we'll be done. But in 2 Timothy 2, watch something here. You see, God's first desire, he wants you to be saved tonight. But following salvation, he wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to live a clean life and a holy life to move away from sin, not move into more sin. In 2 Timothy, look at what's said in chapter 2 and verse number 19. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this fascinating word. Look at this, seal. 2 Timothy 2, 19. The word seal to me means stamp of authenticity. Made in heaven. Just like made in USA was a big deal when I grew up as a kid. Dad wanted USA stamp. I remember that. And what is the seal? What is that emblem of authenticity? It's twofold. Number one, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Do you know your salvation night's bigger than you knowing Him? It's Him knowing you. He's got to know you. It's not good enough you know Him. He has to know you. And number two, look at this. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. What's he saying? If you're going to call yourself a Christian, then live like one. And then watch the process. Look in verse number, look with me real quickly. Look in verse number 20. But in a great house, the Bible says, and the great house, if you look at this in context, it's your life. It's your life. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Looks like six six things. All these is two things named three times each. Listen, in your my life, there are things that are honorable and there's things that are dishonorable. You with me? There are things that are valuable. There are things that are not valuable. That's what he's saying there. Now watch that next verse. Look at this. Don't miss this. Look at how the Bible just talks about itself. In verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, that these there are in context of dishonorable things, then he shall be a vessel unto honor. What's the next word? Say it again. Sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Wow. You know, think about your life tonight. I'm thinking about my life tonight. And you say, oh, wow, this message, you know, this must be easy to preach. Man, are you kidding me? No one learns more than the teacher. You put a message like this together, man, your gears turn. Because the last thing I want to do is just be a fake and a hypocrite. I want to be real. I want to be real. As I learned a long time ago, the honest and real soul gets help. You say, well, I'm just a mess. Well, then tell him you're a mess. Trying to pawn yourself off as something you're not. You know what I'm saying? In your my life, we have honorable and dishonorable things. You know what we ought to do? You ought to just get a big pack of licky stickies, right? Honorable on all of them. And then another pack, dishonorable. And then go through your life and start pegging things. Write this down. Four words. Four words. They all start with an A. Don't miss this. Because here is the order you need to inspect and purge and allow God to check out your life. Number one, the very first thing you ought to sift in your Christianity is attitudes. Attitudes. Do you know as a Christian there are some attitudes that are unbecoming a Christian? Did you know? You know anger is an attitude unbecoming a Christian. Most of the time it's men, but it's not limited to men. But let me tell you something about a spirit of anger. You become an unwalled village, Scripture says, which means you are open to any criticism anybody has, whether it's right or not. You have totally discredited yourself with your temper and your spirit of anger. You all with me? Men, you will freak your wife out with your spirit of anger. You will kill her love for you and vice versa. That is an attitude unbecoming a Christian. Shouldn't be there. Worry is an attitude on becoming a Christian. We shouldn't be worrying. Fretful. You with me? Pride is an attitude on becoming a Christian. An overinflated opinion of who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You and I are nothing but dirty, rotten, wicked sinners saved by grace. 
Amen. Kenny Grant, who's in my video, he's the fourth story in. He's a chief drill instructor. He's an African-American pastor in Savannah. And I think I mentioned the other night he pastors a white church. He's the only chocolate chip in the cookie dough. Although he's picking up more chocolate chips now. And Kenny and I were talking. Kenny was discipled by the guy who led me to the Lord. And we never met till years later. And I met Kenny in the hood where they were killing each other in his parking lot. Literally, man, this was tough turf. And I would come through and minister. But Kenny was named Mr. Savannah a couple of years ago. And he called me to let me know. Brother Dave, he said, I'm named Mr. Savannah. And your movie's playing across Georgia airwaves. They're using your movie to recognize me. I said, praise the Lord. And he said, and I said to him, I said, Kenny, I said, how, uh, how are you doing with that? You know, <laughs> he said, oh, brother Dave, he said, I learned a long time ago how to never let my head outgrow my hand. I said, how do you like, how, 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 brother Kenny? He said, never forget the best thing to remember about yourself is the worst thing you know about yourself. I know some bad things about myself even after I was saved. Y'all with me? And that keeps me from getting too proud. It's not getting proud. Because I'm just a dirty, rotten, wicked sinner saved by grace. And so are you. Amen? Somebody says, well, now, Brother Dave, I've, I've checked my life. I... You know, I just really can't find many flaws. Well, then I found yours. <laughs> you know, it's pride. You have an overinflated opinion of yourself, and you're not remembering the worst things about yourself. There's value in that. There's value in that. Attitudes, number one. We ought to go through and we ought to just... Do a checkup from the neck up. What are our attitudes? You know what I'm saying? What kind of attitudes do you stalk through your home with, Mom? Come on. Dad, what do the kids get to see on display? There's a lot of reasons kids jump ship. Because they hear all this, and then they see Mom and Dad live a different life. And then they watch the other Mom and Dad honored publicly, but they know the real Mom and Dad privately. You know what they say? Well, things messed up, man. And then they see the world go by, and it's as real as a day is long. They'll tell you a mile out what they want to do. They're as real. There's no fake there. They just want to party. And you know what the kids do? They say, my, my family's messed up. They, they're all messed up. But that one's real, and that one even looks fun. And they jump ship. Go for what looks real rather than what's fake. Attitudes in your home, number one. Attitudes. Number two, write this one down. You and I as Christians have got to be willing to allow God to sift our associations. Our associations. There are some people we shouldn't be spending quality time with because they're dragging us down and not lifting us up. You with me? There's just some associations Christians shouldn't have. Right? I don't go in a bar to get a soda pop. Because it's just a bad association. They don't know what I'm coming out with. You, you know, it's just not a good association. You know, with me. And, and listen, you preach this message wrong and you could turn in people in a bunch of hateful Pharisees. That's not my goal. My goal is to get us to understand we're on display. We're representing the king. Let's be aware that there's a responsibility goes with that. So we check our associations out. Amen. Ladies, there should be as your best friend, somebody who loves Jesus just a little more than you do. And they're moving you toward Proverbs 31. Not away from Proverbs 31. The godly woman. You know what I'm saying? Guys, we should have the same. Thirdly, we've got to go ahead and, and have the Lord sift and try what's honorable and dishonorable as we consider our activities. Our activities, what we do. There's some things Christians shouldn't be doing. And then fourthly, I'll throw this one out. Susan always goes over like screen doors on a submarine, but <sighs> attire. You got to throw that. People say, oh, now you're mentally. Listen, listen. Even the cults have some standards. They tell you you got to wear something when you show up. 
Okay, you all with me? And I think every one of us should always stop and think, who am I dressing for? This, this new, I call it scuba diving equipment women are wearing. You got to drop them from 10 stories up just... thinking they cannot be if they're saved they can't be doing that for the lord y'all with me if they are they got a weird idea who jesus is i'm I'm just telling you and and frankly i listen i'll throw this out for free do they even know what they look like it's like seriously 10 pounds of potatoes in a five pound bag it's just like whoa yeah i mean just like i look at that and go do they even understand what they look like Okay, and, and you know, I, I touch this and it's like, ah! you know, I mean, it's like, oh. so I don't get too involved it's for your pastor. But listen, I think if, even men, we got to be careful, you know. So that's all I'll say. Okay, so, but we're not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And people always say to me, Brother Dave, what's the balance? What's the balance that a Christian has with this world or the local church has with this world? It's this. Gary Priest said it so well, my mentor. He said, Christians are like ships. And ships are meant to sail. Ships aren't meant to sit in the harbor. And Christians aren't meant to become monks and go off in a cave and get away from everybody out there. That isn't why God saved us. We're salt. We're light. We're meant to extinguish darkness and deal with decay. Until you go out there, you know. So he said, ships today, they're meant to sail. Christians are meant to get out there and make a difference. You know, not just sit back in church and say, oh, that was great. And then, no. He said, there's no problem with the ship being in the water. The problem is when the water gets in the ship. Christian, there's no problem with you going out in that world. To represent the king. And to go ahead and engage darkness. Lighten them up with the gospel. But there's a big problem when that world starts getting in you. The world's attitudes and they have an attitude. The world's priorities, they have their priorities. The world's ways, they have their ways. You with me? We're not to be conformed to the image of the world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In the image of Jesus Christ. And as I close tonight... You know, I remember when I got saved, how the Lord began working on my heart on stuff. I remember about a month into the, my salvation, Bill Overway on a Monday night Bible study finished, and I came up to Bill, and this is what I said to him. I said, you mean when I go home on leave, and I'm one month old in the Lord, I can't have a beer with my brother Doug? That's what I said to Bill. Because, you know, Minnesota, y'all, you betcha, man, it's a kegger, you know? And I never drank to get drunk. My, my dad was the guy who said, two beers don't make you a man. That was a lost dad. He said, we're not like them drunken Dutchmen south of the tracks. So if you're Dutch, sorry, but that's dad. <laughs> you know, that was a dad. I mean, it's a moral dad, just wasn't saved, you know. And I'll never forget. I said, you mean to tell me I can't have a beer with my brother Doug when I go home on leave? And Bill looks at me and said, Brother Dave, I wasn't even talking about that. The Spirit of God took, the Word of God took a principle of uncleanness and he applied it. And he, he, he just, he pointed out that and he said, there's no way that's a clean thing to be doing. You with me? I remember when I got home, I shared the gospel with the family. The very next night I went to the dance hall. Very next night, I went to the dance hall. All my juniors were now seniors. Doc, that was my nickname because I'm a trumpet player. After Doc Severinsen, Doc come home. Everybody say, hey, Doc's home, man, you know. And uh, we heard he got religion, but I showed up to the dance hall. You say, why does a single guy show up to the dance hall? Man, I always went, duh. <laughs> Seriously? You got to ask the question? I showed up. I'm not kidding you. I lasted 10, 5 or 10 minutes, and the Spirit of God said, you don't belong here. Yeah. Got under conviction and left the dance hall. He just began to work on associations. And I had a spirit of anger. I had a temper that was wicked. Begin to work on that. Break my heart about that, you know. You all with me? He said, listen, you come just as you are. And I'll save you. But I'll not leave you how I found you. I'm going to start changing you. 
And he does that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. You sum it up in one verse. You don't need to turn there. I'll quote it. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, then think on these things. You run your attitudes, activities, and associations through the calendar of Philippians 4, 8 and see what comes out on the other end. That's what God wants us to do. Amen. I hope you're saved tonight. That's his first desire. But if you're saved, I hope you want to serve him and live a sanctified life, a clean life, not a wicked life and a dirty life because of who you belong to, because of who you represent, and certainly because of who you now effect. May you be a Bible worth reading. May your life be a life that's so well lived for your Savior. People want who you have. They want him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.